Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. This weekend was to be a very special weekend in the history of our country as we celebrated the 75th anniversary of our victory, the Allies' victory over Germany way back in May 1945. Very few of us who will be listening to this or watching this will remember that event. Some of our older members do. But all of us live in the light of the victory that was won, the welfare state, the whole change within society in so many ways that took place after the war was a result of the sacrifices made by many during the war. The sacrifice, obviously, of lives laid down in service of the country and for our freedoms, but also the sacrifice of those who went not only to fight and to fly and to be on the ocean waves, but also to work in the factories or to stay at home caring for families. All of that sacrifice bore fruit in all that took place and has taken place in our society since then. And we enjoy the liberties and the freedoms that we have, even under lockdown, because of the great victory that was won 75 years ago. And so I do hope that if you haven't had the chance to watch some of the programmes that were on television yesterday, that you will take the chance, that you will catch up on iPlayer or something else, and take time to pause, to give thanks, to remember and to rejoice in all that has been achieved and was achieved all those years ago. It's our Christian duty, and it's only right that we do remember. The impact of life-changing events uh, often mean that we see things differently afterwards. There's much talk of our society being different after the end of the lockdown because of the COVID-19 virus. Whether that will be the case or not obviously will depend much on our leaders, but also on our own attitudes and mindsets. Things do change when trauma and trial does take place. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to have a you mindset, to see things differently. He had been engaged in a war, not a a war against an enemy of the state in the terms of, of a political sense, but he was at war as one of the leaders of the Jewish authorities set against the early Christian church. The book of Acts tells us that Paul was a witness, or Saul as he was known then, was a witness to the stoning and death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. The book of Acts tells us that he was on a journey to Damascus in order to deal with the emergent church there. He saw Jesus Christ as a false prophet. He saw the impact of Jesus Christ and those earlier followers of Jesus Christ as a threat to the stability and the security of the state. And so he, along with others, engaged in a war to protect his understanding of the Jewish faith from those enemies. But of course, that mindset was radically changed by the encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life was never the same again. His own understanding of who God was and what God had done in Jesus Christ was radically transformed. His understanding of himself and his calling and purpose in life was changed and his view of others, the need of our world, became refined and renewed. Let's read together what Paul says about that, at least in part, in 2 Corinthians. Let's turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 14 of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reading from verse 14. 
For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. As Elizabeth and I watched yesterday some of the programmes that were on television, we were very moved by some of the stories that those who had celebrated VE Day and indeed those who had journeyed through the war were testifying to of how as they came back from war as young men or young women or how as young people, young children, young teenagers in a family as they marked VE Day, the impact of those events meant that they saw things very differently. Certainly my parents' generation, the generation of people of my own age who were in the war, either fighting or certainly lived through the war, they were impacted. They wanted things to be differently. They saw things differently, different from the depression and the poverty of the 1930s and the trial and suffering of the war of the 1940s. They wanted things and they saw things differently and they worked towards having a different kind of world and a different kind of society. For them and for their families, and indeed for our community. Paul saw things differently after his encounter with Jesus Christ. It transformed his whole mindset. Look at what he says in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the you is here. Paul had had a complete change of mind. He had seen Jesus as a rebel prophet, as a dangerous man, as someone who was seriously deluded and was going to cause great chaos to Israel. But now look how he speaks of Christ. Just earlier on, at the beginning of the verses earlier, he says that he was convinced that one died for all. Speaking of Jesus, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He goes on to speak in verse 19 that Christ, that God was reconciling to himself in Christ, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Paul had a new appreciation, a radically different appreciation of who Jesus was. That's always a sign of God at work within a human heart. A changing attitude towards Jesus Christ. A growing interest in who he is and in why he came. A hunger, a thirst to discover more, to read the gospel story, to talk with other Christians or or to meet with others so that we might discover more of who Jesus is. That's a sign of God's Spirit at work, changing mindsets, stirring hearts, beginning that work of new creation. The Bible tells us, the book, the prophet Jeremiah tells us, the human heart is deceitful above all things. Yes, we can do great things. We can do wonderful things, generous things. The war shows us and reminds us of that. People sacrifice for others. But the war also tells us of how evil and how dark and how destructive the human heart can be. And the history of the world, not just since the war, but throughout its time, has been that, yes, there is great beauty and wonder as we exercise our gifts and abilities for others and for the benefit of our world, but also how the human heart can do things that are deeply damaging to our world and damaging to others and damaging to ourselves. Paul had discovered that, that his own heart could appear to be quite good. He was doing what he believed was right. But on that road to Damascus and following on from that, he discovered how wrong he had been and how right, how righteous Jesus is. And that's why he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul here is speaking about something that's very personal, important to him. He had become a new creation. The old had gone, the new had come. He had discovered that in his sin and in his fractured relationship with God, only God in Christ could reconcile him once again back to the God who had created him. And he had discovered that he who you know sin, Jesus Christ, had become sin, had taken upon himself all the darkness and all the folly and all the sinfulness of Paul's heart in order that Paul might inherit and receive the righteousness of God. That's at the very heart of the Christian gospel. That's the change that God offers in Jesus Christ, the one who elsewhere Paul speaks about as the one who is supreme over all creation, the firstborn from the dead, the Lord of the church, as John tells us, the one who is the word, the eternal word, that spoke and brought everything into being and became frail flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. It all centers upon an appreciation and an encounter and a faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had a new appreciation of that. And that led to him having a new desire to live for God. As we said earlier, people came back from the war, or went through the experiences of the war with a desire for things to be different, to live for their family, to live for their community, to see the world changed. And we hope and pray that the present lockdown will cause a similar desire amongst people to have a fairer society, a more just society, and yes, to see investments in those areas of society that badly need it. That's our prayer and hope. A changed emphasis, a new way of living. Well, Paul talks about that. Earlier on in chapter 5, he makes that very clear. In verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body, that is, to be in heaven, to be in glory. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And he goes on to say, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are, are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. Verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than what is in the heart. For then he says, for Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He had a desire to please God. He had a desire to live for God, to make God the very centre of his agenda in his life. And that again is a sign of the Spirit of God within a heart. We have a new appreciation of who Jesus is, and we have a new desire to serve and please God in our daily lives, in our relationships, in our working life, in the use of our gifts and talents. That was Paul's desire, to live for God. Indeed, he speaks of that in verse 19. In the latter part of verse 19, he says, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. His whole life was to be caught up with God's plan for who he was and for what he was to do. God's agenda, God's plan, God's purpose, a you desire to live for God, a sign of the Spirit of God at work. And lastly, that led him to have a you understanding of human need. He had seen, in a sense, into his own heart. Again, people returned from the war, moved by the courage and the bravery and the sacrifice of many, but also moved by what they saw of what humans could do, the man's inhumanity to man. One of the people being interviewed yesterday, who's still alive, an elderly gentleman, spoke of how he was in the troops that arrived, the British troops who arrived at the Belson concentration camp, and of the horror of what he saw, and of how corrupting the Nazi regime had been to the German people. Interesting enough, the German president yesterday, marking VE Day in Germany, spoke of how it was also a day where the German people had been liberated from the tyranny of Nazism and of evil that had corrupted the German people and had caused them to do so many terrible things. There was a fresh awareness of how bad humans could really be. Well, Paul had a fresh awareness of how bad he could really be and of how bad all of us are. No one is righteous, no, not one. But he also had an awareness that in the gospel that Jesus Christ came to live and to bring about through his death and resurrection, there was an ability to be changed. He has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Paul's right, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God and God's, as God's co-workers. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. The United Nations was founded 75 years ago. And it was born out of a desire for things to be different. It committed itself to building a world where people will be free from fear and want and war. A very commendable desire. And yet, sadly, so many over these past 75 years in our world have no, not known that freedom for fear or want or war. We live in a world still blighted 
by all of these things. Why is that the case? It's not because people didn't make the effort. It's not because people haven't spent money. It's not because people haven't gone to the, gone the extra mile in order to try and work towards it. It's because of the human condition of sin. And only God's offer of reconciliation in Jesus Christ can deal with the sin-sick soul. And we are to see our calling in the world as to be ambassadors for Jesus, as to be channels of God's grace. Paul talks about people not receiving God's grace in vain. We are to be channels of God's grace. We are to be those who point towards Jesus, not towards ourselves, not towards the institution of the church, but towards the one who loved us and gave himself for us so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who rose again from the dead. Such a Christ-centered, God-called life. That's the responsibility, not just of the individual believer, but of the church. Ron and Moyer Hamilton passed on to me a little article they had got from their paper just the other day. Church leaders, it's headed, should not be talking like middle managers in this time of crisis. And actually the writer, in quite a, a reasonably lengthy article, challenges the church um, to be, be more provocative and to be more prophetic. Can I just read the latter part of that? Um, it says, All the mainstream churches in this country seem to be fumbling. Rather than speaking with the voice of prophecy, rather than explaining to a grieving and anxious people how the dead in Christ will rise into the blaze of eternal glory, rather than proclaiming the miracles and the mysteries that they uniquely exist to proclaim, church leaders seem to have opted instead to talk like middle managers. Parroting the slogans of the Department of Health and Social Care may conceivably help save lives, but it seems unlikely to win or save many souls. And I think that's a challenging rebuke to the church and to Christians. Paul was passionate. If you read the passage, you'll see there's exclamation marks. Be reconciled to God. Now is the day of salvation. You know, he makes these pleas because he sees human need as ultimately being the need for their sin-sick soul to be saved. And my hope and my prayer that as we look back and as we give thanks to God for all that took place all these years ago, as we thank God for his faithfulness to us through this time of change, as we pray for our society that things will be different after this lockdown is lifted, but above everything else, we'll have grown in a fresh appreciation of who Jesus is. We'll have grown in a fresh desire to live for him. And we'll have grown in our understanding of the real need of the human heart and soul. That will be the good things that will come out of this time of trial for us and for our generation. Let us pray. God, our Father, we do thank you for those who gave their lives for our freedoms and those in so many other ways sacrificed their lives in order that there might be a new hope, a new beginning for our nation after the war. And we rightly remember and we value all that was done. And we thank you for those today who are on the front line of our health care and on the maintenance of our public services and the provision of our essential needs. And we thank you for them and for their sacrifice. And again, we do pray that through this time, there would be a desire that there are things within our society that do need to change. 
and that, Lord, not just our political leaders, but all of us would have a you mindset. But, Lord, we know that however worthy these things are, however ambitious our dreams may be, there is one real issue, real problem, that only you and Jesus Christ can deal with, the deceitfulness of the human heart, our own sinful state, and of how that's played out within society, within communities, within our world. And so we thank you for Jesus. We pray that we will grow in our appreciation of not only who he is, but of what that means for us and for our world. That convinced, compelled by Christ's love, because we're convinced that one died for all. So like Paul, we would see our lives as ambassadorships to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. That in our homes, in our families, with our neighbours, in our work, in all that we seek to be and do, that great commission to be ambassadors for Jesus, to proclaim in word but also indeed the reconciling message of the gospel, that that would be our goal, that, Lord, through this time, the church would be changed, the church would be renewed within our land, and with fresh authority and with clarity of mind and of purpose, it would, with one heart and one voice, point to Jesus Christ, the one who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That's our prayer for your church in these days, but that's also our prayer for our own lives as we give you thanks for the great victory that you have won, O God, over sin and death in Jesus Christ, your Son and our only Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.